Hello and welcome to the Spine Talk podcast brought to you by Texas Back Institute. For more information about Texas Back Institute, visit www.texasback.com. Hello, I'm your host, Philip, and today we're joined by Dr. Scott Blumenthal, an orthopedic spine surgeon and co-director of the Center for Disc Replacement at Texas Back Institute. Welcome, Dr. Blumenthal. Thanks, Philip. So today on the topic of the podcast, we're talking about artificial disc replacement, and specifically we want to talk about cervical disc replacement, how it helps, and how it can be used for revision surgery. So let's start off the discussion with how have you shaped your practice and to help patients using this revolutionary technology at Texas Back Institute? Yeah, it's a fascinating thing, Philip. As you know, we've been doing this a long time, basically longer than anybody else in the United States, although it's been done in Europe longer. But it's changed the way that we treat disc problems in the neck or cervical spine. I would say at this point, about 8 in 10 patients that we see that require surgery are candidates for this, like you said, revolutionary technology. It allows you to remove a damaged disc, unpinch the pinched nerves, but preserve the motion. And that's a huge thing for patients who want to preserve function. So can you give us a brief description of how the artificial disc replacement works in the spine? So in the spine, there's seven or eight different artificial discs for the cervical spine. They all work basically the same with some subtle differences, although the clinical results are virtually identical. And what, what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a spacer between the vertebrae, which is where the disc normally sits. And the disc is damaged or ruptured or, or herniated. There's a lot of terms, but the disc is bad. The disc comes out, and while previously we would put a block of bone in there to create a fusion or lack of motion, we put in a, a, a joint which is made of surgical metal and plastic or metals or ceramics um, or other kind of shock-absorbing materials, and it allows the neck, the disc, the cervical spine to mimic the function of a normal disc. So you have been performing artificial disc replacement for nearly 20 years, but uh, from what I understand, the reoperation rate is extremely low. Can you tell us more about that? The One of the hallmarks of disc replacement surgery compared to fusion is the need for surgery in the future is perhaps a third to a quarter less. So I think the point that you make that revisions are rare is true, but having said that, in a, in a disc replacement center, such as the Center for Disc Replacement, we do see those, those tough cases that on occasion have to be revised. Previously, revision was thought for the cervical spine to take the disc out and replace it with a standard fusion. There's been some chatter now, uh, particularly a clinic in California, that's, that's saying that they can change a disc to a disc and they're the only ones who can do it. Well, that's just not true. We've been doing it for 10 years. We, we've been replacing discs with discs, you know, almost since the beginning. Again, it's rare. The patients have to be fit the criteria. They have to be pretty much perfect patients. But, indeed, it's a possibility. So not every failed disc replacement necessarily has to turn into a fusion. When would a patient have a case where a reoperation may be necessary? Yeah, as we said, it's it's pretty rare. The, the, these discs are very safe for the most part. Um, but on those rare occurrences, which we happen to see at the Center for Disc Replacement, it's it's usually something with the with the disc replacement itself, maybe mechanically that's that's not working. Um, no implants perfect, and they're all tested. But 
occasionally we've got to do something about it. Um, previously, the, the bailout has, has been fusion, but if, if possible, and patients understand this, if we can continue to preserve motion and put a new disc in there, um, that's always my first choice if all the other criteria are met and they're otherwise uh, up for it. So you mentioned typically uh, in the past what has been done was a fusion for the reoperation. Have we reached a point where fusion can be replaced with a total disc replacement? It's a great question. Uh, and as rare as a disc-to-disc -disc revision necessity is, um, this is even much rarer. Can it be done? Yes. Yes, we've done it here. Um, th this clinic I'm talking about in California is, is I think it's misleading saying that, that that's something that's routinely done. It is really not routinely done. There are a, a lot of reasons why technically this is probably just not the right thing to do. But can it be done? Under very specific and special circumstances, uh, it can be. The question is whether it should be. Do you foresee that being something that could be done in the future or with other motion-preserving technologies? Um, what we've seen happen in the last 20 years has been amazing. Um, nothing would surprise me, no. So in your opinion, what is the future of motion preservation? The, the future of motion preservation in the cervical spine are the next generation of implants. For example, in the next year or two, we're going to see an implant coming out that is virtually silent on MRI. One of the problems is once you have an implant, it's hard to see around it or behind it on an MRI scan. This new implant coming out basically is silent, offers no scatter. You can see perfectly behind it, and that's going to be a real value added. So typically now when you take an MRI with somebody that has an artificial disc, it doesn't show up properly, or what does that look like? Usually the, the segments above or below show up okay, but if you're looking for issues behind the artificial disc, that doesn't show up very well. Okay, so this new device would allow doctors to see around the disc and be able to diagnose better in the future. That's the next big advance, yes. That's great. So we get a lot of interesting questions uh, that come in online from patients from all over the world asking about you guys, because you guys have been uh, pioneering it in the United States. Um, now we know that there are other countries that also provide artificial disc replacement and there are some off-label, what we call in the industry, um, devices or off-label uses of, the, of this. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Great question. Um, off-label is a specific term used by the FDA and regulatory authorities to govern how companies sell devices. We've been able to do off-label application on an individual basis, basis for, for patients for years. It really requires treating a patient as an individual. There's a, a thought that you have to go outside the U.S. to get three disc replacements or four disc replacements. And the fact of the matter is, is that that's just not true. Um, some of the other marketing ploys that these medical tourism spots utilized outside the U.S. is you can get discs that you can't get in the U.S. Well, for better or for worse, the FDA does a pretty good job, and these discs you can't get out of the U.S. aren't tested. So until they go through that rigorous testing, I'm not comfortable recommending that a patient get them. The other issue that occurs is if complications occur outside the U.S., it's very difficult to find someone here in the U.S. to take care of those complications. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the European doctors are not very keen to take care of complications. So another question that we get all the time online is um, about artificial disc replacement and can it be replacing fusion in the future, which you've already talked about. But do you foresee in the future 
Fusion becoming either obsolete or um, just kind of a, a minor thing on the back burner compared to artificial disc for patients? For most of the disc problems that we treat, I think disc replacement is already replacing Fusion and in the future I think will. There'll be some conditions, you know, broken necks and tumors and deformities and things like that that are not appropriate now, nor will probably they ever be for artificial disc. But for the majority of patients, 90 plus percent with the disc problem, absolutely. That's great. Great. Well, you've mentioned that uh, within the last 20 years, you've seen a huge uh, leaps and bounds of technology and how that's come. And we look forward to seeing what artificial disc replacement and other motion preserving technologies come in the next 20 years. I appreciate you coming here and talking to us about this today. Um, thank you, Dr. Blumenthal. For more information about Dr. Scott Blumenthal and other spine conditions and treatments, click over to texasback.com. We would love to connect with you. Please join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcatcher you're listening to. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Spine Talk Podcast.